0: Happy Sabbath, everyone. Good to see all of you guys. Um, We just saw three different uh, news clips that happened pretty recently. There was a shooting at a school. There was actually a car crash where one lady was driving the wrong way, and so they crashed. And then recently, another shooting in Oklahoma as well. So first question I want to ask you guys, when you see these kind of news, uh, what do you think of? What are some of the emotions that run through? What are the different thoughts that you have? Okay. If you asked me before I had a child, uh, I would have said, okay, it just happens. These are things that happen in the world. And I usually I go, oh, this is very shocking. But afterwards, I kind of just, that's it. But now that I have a child, it's like a totally different story. For sure, uh, before I thought I was always very uh, courageous because. Uh, these kind of things, it did not bother me very much. But I realized it's not that I was courageous. It's just that I had nothing really much to lose before. Okay? And when you, don't have, when you don't have something that you, nothing much to lose, then of course you're not that scared. But when you start to have something that you love, right, and when you have something very valuable and something worthy and something you're afraid to lose, then what happens? Fear happens as well, Okay. So I don't know uh, what you guys are. Maybe you guys are in a fearful situation right now where because of the news, you feel very fearful. Or maybe there's other circumstances in life right now. Maybe there's uncertainty with work. There's uncertainty in your finance or your relationships where you feel like there's times of fear in your life. Okay. Regardless of where you guys are at, uh, we're going to take a couple of weeks to actually think about fear, our fears. And is there a way to actually deal with fear in a, in a, in a very good way? Because fear can be very, very uh, paralyzing oftentimes. So let's talk about two different ways that most people deal with fear. Man, there's a lot of echo. We can't get rid of that, huh? Okay, we need to get rid of that. All right. The first one is you are totally controlled by fear altogether. Okay, you read these kind of news, you watch it, and you're like, I'm not going to go out for a couple of days because, like, they're shooting so much these days. It's like you're totally controlled by you. Your life is shaped by it, okay? Some of you might, might say, oh, I'm going to pull my kids out of school or I'm not going to send my kids to school when, I, when, I, when we raise kids, okay? So fear, it paralyzes you, and because of that, you literally shape your life around fear, okay? And it paralyzes you. It stops you from doing the things that you have been doing because you're, again, that fear is very, very real, okay? So there's a lot of people who are actually controlled by fear and their actions change because of fear, okay? But on the other hand, a lot of the self-help books nowadays, this is what they would tell you. They say, instead of being controlled by fear, what you need to do is you need to ignore fear, okay? So a lot of the new self-help books, basically they say, lot of the fears that we have are actually irrational, okay? A lot of times, we're thinking too negatively, okay? Yes, situations like this, does it happen? Absolutely. But the chances of happening it to, in your life, are very, 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 very slim, according to these books. So they say, whenever we see these kind of things, we irrationally multiply our fear, by too much, so it becomes irrational, it becomes controlling, and so therefore we have to recognize, yes, there is a healthy level of fear that is necessary, but most of the things that you and I, were afraid of, we just need to ignore it, it's not going to happen anyways, okay, so you minimize fear and ignore it as much as possible, because most of the things are just not going to happen. Okay, so there's two different ways. But both of these ways, we could see how it could be very detrimental, and it's not very realistic in our life. Okay, the first one, you're being controlled by fear. Obviously, that's not good because it's paralyzing, right? There's things that you cannot do anymore because you're paralyzed by fear. And obviously, that's not livable. Or it is livable, but you're always under fear, and it's not very pleasable. Does that make sense? But on the other hand, okay, what happens? You start ignoring fear, ignoring fear. You're not prepared. What happens? Then you become just numb to the feeling of fear. Okay? You can become cynical. You can become bitter, and you could just go, oh, whatever. I don't care. Okay. So you either become paralyzed or you become numb. And so I think both of these ways are not very adequate ways of actually dealing with fear. Today we're going to talk a third way, a biblical way, how to actually overcome fear. Okay. we're going to go into Psalms 27. Uh, the writer of this psalm, his name is David, and he is a king. And as you guys know, the more and more responsibility and the more you have authority, what happens? There's more things that you have to think about and take care of. And because of that, with that, again, comes more fear as well. So this is what he writes. When the wicked again uh, advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. So as a king, okay, personally, this is very, very, a lot of traumatic things as a king. Okay, imagine you have some enemies that want to kill you, that want to become kings themselves. Or, you know, there's always like plotting that's going on. You don't know who's going to backstab you. You don't know which counselors, which uh, high officials, they want to get your job. So what happens? You're constantly in fear. What if I'm not doing a good job? What if the people rebel against me? And this is what he's talking about. The first he's talking about is there's enemies all around me because of what I do. And yet, he says, again, my heart will not fear. What's another bad thing that could happen to a kingdom? It says, an army besiege me, war break out against me. Okay, yes, there's personal implications of that. You stop being a king if a war breaks out, right, and you lose, obviously. But not only that, I mean, just think about your whole nation, the people that you love, all the people under you, all the the servants. What happens? They're put in jeopardy. On top of that, how about financially, what happens? you go into ruins as well. What happens psychologically? You're in a war, and an army is right outside of your walls. They besieged you, what happens? What's the psychological effects of that? Constant fear and worry. And yet, this guy says, what? My heart will not fear. Even then, I will be confident. Okay, so he's thinking of the worst, Situation that can happen because he's not saying these things did happen. He's just saying when these things happen or though these things can happen in my life. Does that make sense? He continues on. He gives one more. He gets even more personal. He says, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. So he gets real personal. It's not about his career anymore. It's not about just his people or his community. He gets even More personal, he says, what if in my relationships, what if my father and my mother, who's supposed to be the agent of the love that we receive, right, supposed to be, what if they abandon me? What if they betray me? Does that make sense? So not only is this like my career, my job, my authority, my money, he even gets even personal. He even says, What if it gets to my relationships? Okay? So this goes into a lot of our fears as well. For some of us, it's our careers. For some of us, it's money. Where our biggest fears are. For a lot of us, it's relationships. It's our family, our parents, our children. Okay? And he's getting there as well. He's saying, the worst things could happen in my life, and yet he's saying, I can stand firm, okay? So he, this is very interesting. He's not saying, ignore the fear. Don't think about the worst case scenario. He's actually thinking the worst case scenario. And yet, this guy, he's not shaking like a wreath because of fear. He's not controlled by fear. He's saying, I can stand firm. Okay, how is it possible he can think of the worst case scenario and yet he can stand very firm? and that's what we're going to learn, right? That's what we want to be. We don't want to be controlled by fear, and yet we don't want to be ignoring reality. We don't want to just say, oh, bad things just don't happen in the world, la, 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 right? No, bad things do happen in this world. Okay? So how do we actually become realistic, and yet, at the same time, we're not shaken by fear? We can stand firm. Okay? Let's see. Is he, is he just born like this? Is he just a courageous guy? No, he continues to tell us over and over and over. Okay? Let's see what his solution is. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So what does he not say? He does not say, you see, because I'm a great person, what's the fear? I got so much saving my investment, I have diverse portfolio, so even if one goes down, I'll be totally fine. I have a vacation house. I have backup plans. Is that why he says he is not afraid? None of those things. He says the reason I can be safe, the reason I can stand firm, the reason I can overcome fear is because I have God. Okay, and he continues to say this over and over and over and over. It is God it's because of god i can stand firm in essence this is what he's actually saying he actually uses the word stronghold that basically that god is at the center he's the fortress he's the wall that protects me from everything so he's basically saying this everything else can fall in my life but because god is at the center everything else even if it falls it's not going to shake me it's because this is god is my foundation But if anything else is my foundation, it's going to start shaking. Does that make sense? So think about your biggest fear. Whether that's with family, whether that's with your personal success, with your business. Maybe for some of you, it's your person, like your, your looks. Maybe it's your skills that you have. And you're so scared of losing them. And that's where fear comes from. This is what Augustine, who is a um, Christian philosopher, uh, this is what he said. He said this, your fears, your fears are directly correlated to the vulnerability of the ultimate things in your life. Okay? So he's, uh, to, to make it easier, he's basically saying, think of what's the greatest thing in your life. You go, if I just have this one thing, I'll be happy. For some of us, that's money. If I go, if I just have more money, I'll be okay with life. For some of you, it's relationship. If I just have that girl, or if I just have that guy, or if I just have my kids, everything will be okay. Okay? What's the ultimate thing in your life? And depending on the strength of this thing, whatever your ultimate thing is, and if this starts shaking, then what happens? Then you will start fearing. Okay? So the lighter this object is, the more it will shake. And the more it shakes, the more fear that you actually have. But if your ultimate thing is the strong, it's a very heavy thing, it's a very strong thing, it's a stable thing, then no matter what happens, the craziness, the hurricanes of life, then it will not shake. And because of that, you don't have to fear. So this is what Augustine is saying, and this is what David essentially is saying as well. I do not need to fear if my kingdom falls apart. I do not need to fear even if my parents disown me. Is there sadness? Absolutely. But he's saying, my ultimate thing is God. And because of that, even when the winds and the hurricanes happen in my life, it's okay. I have a good foundation. I'm going to give you an example of um, someone who has placed their... um, their tr- ultimate thing and not, not so positive thing and how it shakes them. okay? Uh, this guy, his name is uh, Donald Miller. Um, he's an author. He writes many different books. But I love his writing because he's so very honest and he understands himself very well. But this is what he said. I can trace my need to perform and to impress people back to some of my earliest memories. My dad left, and just as I was coming into my own, my mother, sister, and our, I were feeling abandoned and neglected. In a way, being the only male, I felt like I had a bit of a bigger and better person than I was. So this is for all kids, most kids. Okay, Parents are literally the ultimate things in our life. But what does he experience? He sees that his parents, that he needed to depend on the person, his dad, that he thought would be there for him, gone one day. And he felt totally abandoned. And we could, and some of us, we could relate to this, how our parents maybe have disappointed us. And we understand that. You know, so what happens to I was It was foolish, of course, but kids don't process reality objectively. So it was during the season I developed a strange desire to convince people I was intelligent. For whatever reason, it became important to prove to my mother and sister, not, only not, uh, not to mention friends of the family, that I was smart and couldn't handle things. So his dad was the ultimate thing in his life, rightly so, because as a kid, you don't have anything else to hold on to. But what happens after the dad leaves? Then now it's his intellect. That's the ultimate thing in his life. He goes, if I can just be smart, if I can just sound smart in front of my family members, then things will be all right in this world. Of course, in this book, he talks about how that gets broken apart as well. Again, this is what happens. When we place our ultimate things, anything besides God, it will always shake. For some of us, we go, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm gonna stay this good looking for a long time. For some of you, you go, I'm okay, I'm okay. My investments, my money, I got it. Everything's gonna be okay. Okay? But we know whenever fear happens, whenever we see something happens in the news, it starts shaking we see the reality that these things that we becomes our ultimate thing it's actually starting to shake and because of that there's fear in our life So CS Lewis says this don't let happiness depend on something you may lose Everything in our life we will lose one day this might be a little sad but if you think about it my I think for me my probably the ultimate thing is probably my son but one author put it like this. Every single parent or every single person, okay, you either bury your parents or your parents bury you. You either bury your parents or your parents bury you. Obviously, all the parent in this room, we go, we rather have our uh, kids bury us, okay? But everything, everything in this life, we're going to lose. But David, Augustine, C.S. Lewis, they're all saying that's why we need to hold on to God. Do you want to stand firm okay? with the craziness of life? you got to have a foundation that's immovable. That will never change. So he tells us, he goes in a little bit deeper, and he actually tells us how to actually do this. Because okay? most of us, most of us in here, in this room, uh, we grew up in the church and we go, yes, God has to be the ultimate thing. God has to be the ultimate salvation. God has to be the ultimate security and identity. But you go, I've heard this all my life. I'm a Christian. I come to church, but whenever like I see news or something happens to my finances, I'm shaking like a reed. Why is that, pastor? What's going on? Okay? Well, that tells you one thing, that you thought God was the foundation, but God isn't. Okay? So whenever there's fear in your life, it's actually a good time to reflect. What's my ultimate thing? Why is it that I'm so fearful? So it's actually an opportunity for you to place God back into as the ultimate thing. But we have to go a little bit deeper. David tells us exactly how we can do this. Uh, Let me skip this real quick. Okay, he says this. One thing I ask from the Lord, this uh, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to seek him in his temple. So he's saying, I want one thing. But there's actually three different verbs in here. Okay? He's saying, I want to dwell, I want to gaze, and I want to seek God. So what's the one thing? He wants God. He desires God. He wants to be with God. This is very important because I think most of us, including myself, we only not we don't do all three of these things. I think most of us we do only one of these things. Okay? For example, whenever something bad happens in our life, then we'll seek him. That's very easy. I'm reading a book right now about someone in war, and he says, As a soldier, I learned things very quickly. But the first thing I I, I learned when I was a soldier was I learned how to pray. Okay, not because he became a religious person, but because when when you have bullets shooting over you, you're going to be praying. And that's what he said. Okay, So we know how to actually seek God when we need stuff from him. And this is what a lot of us do, yeah? We approach him and we say, God, right now my finances are not good. Can you help me? Or, God, my relationship is falling apart. Can you help me? So it's easy to actually seek him. You don't need to be a very religious person just to seek God. There's a lot of times in our life we just seek God. But what happens most of the time? Do we dwell there? Do we gaze there? No, we don't. And that's how you know the difference between if you're just a religious person or if you're a truly a real Christian. A religious person, they just go, God, give me the stuff that I need from you. And once I get it, God, God, I'll be back. Okay, let me, I got to focus on, I got stuff I got to do. Or we go, if God tells you to do something you don't want to do, then no, 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 like I, no, no, no. Like, I'm going to control you. You come out when I tell you to come out. So God just becomes a genie. So you seek him when you need stuff. And we don't when you don't need stuff, you put him right back in. But what do you see with David? Is that the type of relationship he has? No. He doesn't just say, God, when bad things happen, make these bad things go away. No, he's saying, when these things happen, I want to just seek one thing. Why? Because for David, God had become his ultimate thing. So not only does David seek him, but what does he do? He dwells there. He actually is willing to spend time. But not only that, it says he gazes upon the beauty. So he sees the beauty of God. So Tim Keller, he's a pastor, he put it like this. He said, religious people, they just find God useful. But true Christians, they find Him beautiful. And that's the difference. Anybody can come and just seek Him. When I'm scared, and when I'm not scared, bye. But you see, with that kind of mindset, God will never become your ultimate thing. He will just become the last thing that you come to. But if you want to put God as your ultimate thing not only do you need to seek him in your difficult time but you also need to dwell there you need to actually spend time with him and you need to actually contemplate on things of God and to see the beauty of God and that's what changes us that's how God can become the ultimate thing in our life so how do we actually start doing this Uh, C.S. Lewis Again, he's a, he's a philosopher and an author. He, he, he says it very, he puts it very, very well. He said this, do you want to actually put God at the ultimate thing in your life? Then instead of waiting for feelings, start doing it. This is what he says. Good things, as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to get wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get closer to or even to the thing that has them. Okay, so he's saying, do you want God to be in your life? Do you want to have this peace among the hurricanes and the storms of life? You can't just pray for them. And this is what a lot of Christians do. We just go, oh, oh, oh," like it's like some kind of spell or magic. Like, God, just give me peace, give me peace. But we're not willing to get close to peace. Who is God? Does that make sense? It's like saying, again, it's like, again, he's giving the example, a lot of Christians are like, I'm so cold, God, I'm so cold. Make me warm, make me warm. And God's saying, you want to be warm, come to the fire then. Okay? I'm not a genie who just gives you stuff. He's saying, I embody that. I am that. So do you want peace in your life? then get to know peace, who is me. I'm not a peace giver who just like, okay, let me, you get peace, you get peace, you get peace, and then you just walk away. No, again, Christianity is not about getting stuff. It's about knowing a person. And when you know that person, you find them beautiful. He continues on. They are not sort of a prize which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. They are They are a great foundation of energy and beauty spurting out at the very center of reality. If you are close to it, the spray will wet you. And if you are not, you will remain dry. Do you want to make God the ultimate thing in your life? Then you must get close to the ultimate thing. You can't just pray, God, I, I want you to be the ultimate thing. No. Just like what David did, you must seek You must dwell, and you must gaze. It's not enough to just come here once a week. This is very good. This is a very good start, but it's not a very good end because you have so much time in your life. You hear a sermon for 30 minutes, you forget it so easily. So God doesn't tell you to read the Bible or pray because you become a better person. He tells you to pray He tells you to read the Bible. Why? So that you are reminded of his goodness. Let me end with this. Um, Jonathan Edwards, he's another uh, pastor. He says, whenever I come to God, there's always peace in my life. At the end of it. Not just help me, help me, help me. But when when I dwell, when I gaze, there's deep peace. And he says this. It's because I know three things always for certain when I come to God. Number one, our bad things, our bad things, if we bring it to God, it can turn out for good. Even in the worst things in life, if I bring it to God, there's still hope. It's always redeemable. He can always fix it. Not 100%, but there's always something He can bring goodness out of. Second thing, our good things can never be lost my salvation, my identity, my love from God, who's going to take them away? Like Romans 8 says, what shall separate us from the love of God? Death, life, angels, demons, past, present, powers. What's going to take me away from, who's going to take away the good things of life? Nothing. And the last thing, he says, and the best things are yet to come. You think I have a good here? I'm going to have so much more in my future life. So he says, I seek, I dwell upon these truths. I gaze upon, wow, this God really, really loves me. And with that, he's saying, I can have peace. Not because I, I just prayed a couple of times. No, because I have, this truth has become my reality. Let's end with this. A lot of times it's easy to just go, of course God loves me. Of course God's going to be there for me. But we have to understand, okay, what it actually took for Jesus to love us. What it took Jesus, what kind of sacrifice it took for Jesus to actually be there for us. Okay? I think oftentimes we take it for granted. We don't think, I mean, number one, we don't think about that concept enough. But when you do actually think about it, you have to understand, what it, took, what it took God for him to love us. What it took God for him to give us eternal security. He didn't just go, oh, I just love you. Oh, here you go. Ultimate security. What happens? No, he actually sends his ultimate thing, which is his son, down to us. And his ultimate person in his life, who he loves so much, which is Jesus, is hanging on the cross and screaming out for his life. Why? So that we don't have to scream out. Jesus goes through the worst things in life. Why? So we don't have to go through them ourselves. So that our bad can turn out for good. That our good things can never be lost. And so that the best things are yet to come. Let's in, let's, uh, we're going to go into Time of Reflections think about these things, but also throughout this week, there's going to be fears in our lives that we continue to keep God as the ultimate thing so that we will not be shaken.